There's over $500 of prizes to be won at Coastal Leather Supply's first ever build competition. Between October the 1st and December the 5th, you can enter your creations to be judged by expert craftsman Martin Carswell. The theme, pocket-sized. Get creative and test your skills among a fantastic community of crafters. You can even enter multiple creations. Prizes include vegetable tan leather, palosanto tools, Vimeo thread and vouchers. Head on over to coastalleathersupply.com.au or visit them on Facebook or Instagram for details on how to join. Australian and New Zealand entries only. Welcome to episode 24 of the Joseph M. Leather podcast. In this episode, I talk to Jack from Jack Knife Sharpening. Jack is from Adelaide, Australia, and he makes knives, does freehand whetstone knife sharpening, knife restoration, as well as he makes handles and wooden sheets. He also has great reviews and is trusted among chefs and crafters. If you're interstate, he also accepts the postage of knives to be sharpened or restored. Welcome, Jack. Hello. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I've actually, for some time, I've actually wanted to get someone on who's dealt with blades before because, um, yeah, when it comes to leather work, you know, you're sharpening blades, stropping blades, and it's really important to have your blades nice and sharp. So, yeah, thanks for your time. No worries. Um, so, tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get into blades? So... Blades, where do I start? Um, my family used to run a slaughterhouse back in Hong Kong when I was very young, and they ran the business for about 10 years back when I was year four. And then my grandma would find something for me to do, entertain me. I can't get near the um, the stuff, so she gave me a knife and I started sharpening. And that was the beginning of my sharpening story, but of course I didn't sharpening stuff um, until I get older. And then I was working in a Japanese restaurant and I was interested in Japanese knife at the time and then my boss told me not to touch his knife and I was uh, curious about um, what are the differences between Japanese knife and then I started to explore from there. Um, so... At the time I finished uni, I no longer working in the kitchen. And then um, until like three years ago when my dog died, I was pretty upset. I was, um, I needed some distraction. So I went to do knife sharpening because I, I started to do some leisure hobby sharpening for my friends and um, family. Um before before he passed away, so and um, that was the starting point, and I put in a lot of effort, a lot of uh, focus, just so that I can get out of that um, kind of like a grieving situation. Yeah, and that helped. It's one thing I've, I've, I've mentioned before, but yeah, you have to forgive me because with, with blades, I'm not like my knowledge is so bare minimum. No, but... it's it's okay. It's okay. But... But like, so what's the difference between a Japanese blade and like the knife that he was using? And so the biggest difference between the Japanese style knife, the traditional Japanese style knife, and the uh, Western style is the bevel structure. Um, the Japanese knife, you will uh, see the single bevel, um, what they call a um, 
Catawba. And that is a, one side is flat, and then the other side is um, the cutting edge, so to speak. And the primary edge is, is, is like a, a triangle. Yeah, because my, my skiving knife is a Japanese skiving knife, and it has the one bevel. Yes. Um, and that's, that's usually how the um, Japanese make their traditional tools. So instead of sharpening on both sides, you will focus on the bevel, uh, which is the slopey side. Um, and then the Ura is the flat side. And usually it has a little curve to um, help um, release it, uh, the cutting material, basically. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm looking at a picture now, the Japanese versus Western angles, and I'm actually quite surprised that, because I thought the Japanese single bevel was just completely straight up. But yeah, it's, it's slightly... Like it goes on, yeah, it sort of goes on like, or well, this imp picture here has a, um, it's sort of like on an angle that slowly goes up to a straight um, that connects it. There's also, on this picture, it has a Japanese double bevel, and it has a 70 degree angle and then a 30 degree angle. Uh, yes, so some of the uh, Japanese knife maker, they... Um, Sometimes I, I I think it's just a blacksmith personal preference, and they created the seventy thirty and some even a ninety ten or nine to one ratio bevels. Depends on how you like to interpret it. Yeah. Uh, um, so they they basically um, no different to double bevel knives. Instead, they you focus on one side will be seven to three, so you'll sharpen the, for example, the, the right side is the seven, so you will you will sharpen it for, um, for seven times, and then the other side will you do three instead. Wow. Five and five. It is, so even there, like, the, the knives in the kitchen, like a chef, he would have a, a Japanese single bevel knife. Uh, not always. Okay. Um, the, nowadays, the issue with a single bevel knife is is it takes a lot of time to maintain them, um, and therefore a lot of chefs they tend to move on to a, a kind of like a slicing knife in in Western equivalent. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna be a they call it sujihiki. Mm-hmm. And it's a long, thin blade, but it's not as flexible as the Western counterpart. Yeah, because yeah, I remember when I was looking at um, straight razors, people like the videos were saying, make sure you get one that has a uh, where was it, like the hollow grind or whatever it is. Yes, because that's the easier to strop and maintain. Yep. So. Well, so there's the full flat grind, saber grind, chisel grind, convex grind. Yep. Sagandi grind. So Scandi grind is another way to explain the Scandi grind is more a uh, bushcraft type of knife 
people take it to the bush and it has a very good um, knife uh, edge retention but the pain is sharpened oh because there's so much there's so much thickness that you have yes okay That's it's cool. like a, a X but yeah <laughs> so it would if you had like the Japanese um, single bevel would that be good for filleting fish because you sort of have that yes. flat yeah um, so usually people will debone the fish with a knife called deba and it's basically a uh, it comes with different sizes depends on the fish so if you walk into a Japanese chef kitchen a traditional chef kitchen and they will have tons of knives yeah. and each knife is designated for one purpose only so yeah majority of the your knives that you would buy from the shop there would be all the western blades western? yes okay how did you get into making oh so you just you started off with sharpening and all that first yes so how did you what, what equipment did you start off with and sort of how did you learn to sharpen so there was a little story to it is when I started sharpening and then I caught some attention um, of the local Chinese restaurants and they were quite interested of what I do and they gave me a knife asking if I could repair it. I said, well, I can repair it and then I learned my lesson. The, the knife was heavily damaged and to repair the knife by hand, it took me about four days um, just to flatten the bevel and then feeling it um, just unrealistic. It was a cleaver, so oh, it's yeah. a lot of it, it. was a lot of metal to repair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, well, if I want to keep doing this, um, I must upgrade myself. So I went to um, buy Linisher, um, which is a bell grinder. And that was the starting point of getting into a proper repairing with machineries and all that. Yeah. How, um, so when you get a knife that is all damaged like that, do you, so how do you, do you just take it back to bare bones and then have to just up it from there, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, So, for example, if you have a knife being chipped and the chip is about two millimeters, you will have to flatten the the blade first. So you will run the knife on a wet stone or a diamond stone, uh, probably diamond diamond stone I would recommend because otherwise you'll make a groove on your wet stone. Um, And just lay it flat um, 90 degrees and flatten it. And when you get the um, bevel all leveled and back to the profile that you prefer, and then you will start sharpening and involving um, thinning as well. Okay. Because if you don't thin the blade, it's not going to cut well, even though if you get a sharp edge. Yeah. Yeah, because I um, I was actually going to ask you this further down, but I might ask you now. Because I had a disguising knife and it had like chips. Um, taken away from it and I was like I, I was it was still actually a really sharp blade like it was cutting really good but I got a bit annoyed with the dents the chips yes. being there and I just did a quick YouTube video like quick YouTube search I probably wasn't I was just in a rush to get this done and I was watching like how to remove chips from a knife and this this guy was 
he must have been, he was sharpening like a kitchen knife and it had dents in it and he sort of went almost like if not 90 degrees directly on the the blade itself like so where you'd cut it he just went like sort of straight down or sort of on an angle to sh- to shape to get rid of those dents anyway yeah. i i did that i went completely 90 degrees and you know took took that edge like completely off and it was so blunt i couldn't believe how blunt it was but anyway i i sharpened it and i just had like some sandpaper some like wet and dry sandpaper and i got it back really really sharp but then what i found was it wouldn't hold an edge so you would skive it's like it couldn't hold the sharp edge for a while is that um is 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 there a reason behind that you said you flattened the bevel and repair kind of repair the um damage and then it's a single bevel skiving knife yeah uh, so what you want to do is you will um um sharpen the blade with the um the slope side, not the flat side. Mm-hmm. And make sure when you sharpen it, the flat side will not be touched until the end of the sharpening. Mm-hmm. And then you will um, thin, thin the, lay, lay the bevel flat on a wet stone, and then you do the grinding, uh, pushing and pulling. And then when you starting to feel the bird develop on the flat side, you will move on to the next stone um, or the next grid of sandpaper. And at the end, you will lay the blade flat on the flat side and then just get rid of the bird. And do the strop at the end and remove the bird and that should give you a pretty good edge. And I reckon the... The issue that you ran across is you haven't removed the burr completely. Mm-hmm. So once you cut it, um, the burr kind of flipped back to where it was and created a little curve on the very edge, and oh, that okay. stopped yeah. you from cutting. Okay, so so it has nothing because like I thought it was because I thinned the metal out so thin that the, it wouldn't hold the edge. That's that. That's just not true. Even if you have really thin metal, that shouldn't. No, that, that's not an issue. No. Okay. So usually people uh, did not remove the burr completely. How do you tell when there is a burr and not removed? You turn the blade upside down, right, staring right at the edge. Put a light behind you, and then you will see the reflection. And if you see the reflection, the blur, the burr is still there. If it's just been sharpened. And okay. the other scenario is when you have a blunt knife and then you staring at the edge, you will see the reflection and that is the blunt edge rather than the burr. Okay, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. It's the thing because I'm not like... It's... <laughs> it's, it's a very confusing yeah. concept. Yeah, it's probably one of those things where like you probably couldn't do it over video. But but as long... So... Um, yeah, okay. Um so in, in a simple text is when you're sharpening on a side of the bevel, on, on one side, for example, yeah. you'll, you'll push the burr on the opposite side. Yeah, yeah it'll, fold over, it'll fold over. Yeah. And so you, you do it twice on each side. I'm, I'm using single bevel as an as a example. I mean, a double bevel as an example. Um, and, and then once you 
flipped the um, burr the second time, and you will start um, deburring. Yeah, and that's that's the um, I guess it's a must do um, part of the sharpening. Yeah, is it is it harder on the? Because I would I would have thought that it would have been harder on the double bevel because you constantly like it's like a tennis game with the burr like you're flopping it back either side you just say you've gone through like you're on like 2000 grit sandpaper yep so and, you have a double bevel knife and you are working on the the edge and it's a 50 50 so you will do 10 uh sharpening <laughs> motion that you do on the on the pa- on the sandpaper or on a west stone, um, you will starting to feel the burr on the opposite side. You will flip the knife to to the other side and then create a burr again. And then the second time when you feel the burr, you should start thinking about deburring. Mm-hmm. And by deburring, it's a lot of technique around um in depends on who you speak to um i normally just do my technique is a bit different to the most i it's kind of difficult to explain it so if you are having the edge facing towards you you will do the push and stop motion you will push about um, a centimeter and then bring it back to about five millimeters and then by slowly pushing towards the top and then you will have more opportunity and more exposure to kind of bring the bird to the center and then you will do the same um, on the other side and alternatively but don't don't do it on just focusing on one side because you're just playing the yeah bird tennis game. So you, you, it is recommended to go like ninety degrees on like a, if you have chips in your just to. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. You, you, okay. Um, that will first it will strengthen the blade um, because you kind of remove the thin part of the blade and you possibly remove the um, micro. Um, damage that's not visible to eyes yeah and and by doing that when you establish the bevel and it's it's not going to be as painful and then you uh, like the worst case scenario is you didn't do the job properly and then you find another chip and then you have to go through it again because um because the like single bevel you need have that you have that one slant when when you go 90 degrees can you create like um can you run out of room with that or can you just sort of um does that make sense yes so with the single bevel when you run a 90 degree um to repair the damage um you will have to pay the price of thinning the bevel because imagine the if you're looking at um the picture on internet um try to have the bring up the photo with um, um, looking at the side of the, like the the heel of the knife. So once you remove the cutting edge, 
you will see the the bevel is kind of quite thick. It's getting quite steeper as well. Like so, you you will have to um, sharpen the um, the slopey side. Yeah. And beam down the bevel and bring it back to the um, to the flat side. Does that mean you'll be sanding on like an odd angle for a bit to when you to shave that top bit off down? Um, no, you don't need an angle. You just lie the blade flat um, on on the west stone, okay. and then it will eventually bring it back to the cutting edge. Oh, if yeah. you do it on the angle. Yes, you can get the edge back a lot quicker, but mm-hmm. you also reduce the um, edge retention by doing that because you're creating a secondary bevel, which is quite damaging to a Japanese knife. Because that's what I like about the, the single bevel is it's so easy to remove the burr. Like you can just go on the opposite side and just, you know, remove it instantly, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it, it gives people's full sense of removing because I sharpened a lot of Japanese knife and what happened was you think that you have removed the burr, and then if you look very, very closely, you can still see the foil edge. What what the, what we call a foil edge is a... Uh, it feels sharp, but when you use it, and then the foil edge kind of stuck, and, mm-hmm. then, and then basically um, prevent you from cutting. Yeah. Wow. So how did you how did you learn all that? Did you just through trial and error? Like, did you YouTube or? Um, I do a lot of um, experiment myself because I and I learned one thing from knife sharpening is you can never say I am absolutely right by doing this. That's it's not a science. It's not like the way I do it must be the best. There's there's no particular ways to do it uh, what I say what I would say to people is however you can get your edge sharp and last for a relatively reasonable time mm-hmm. you're doing it right okay yeah um how do, uh, is it recently you've started making those wooden sheaths is that been a uh, recent thing yes yeah because I, I, I um when you said, "Oh, I'm making this wooden sheath," I was like, and then when you when you actually, I was a bit confused. I was like, "How can you make it?" And then I, I saw you do it, and I was like, "Wow, that's actually really impressive." How are they? How did you come up with? Yeah, that that's a. So I had a field chef um, approach me about um, making sheaths with their knives. Um, basically, the, um, the the one that is currently on the market doesn't fit into their knife back and they really want to have a uh, proper sheath that will fit in the back so I custom made the um, the sire the, the, the knife sheath um, in in the um, specific orders um, yeah, for the length and for the um, thickness all that mm-hmm so once I started it and and I've got other people's attention because uh, the the sheath that I made is usually um, quite um, tight feet and um, they are basically designed to um, hold on to your knife without um, having to use the pin. 
and people like it and and I started making more like what what whatever you can buy on the market they usually are really loose um they make one sheath for all knives basically mm-hmm. so they have to make a lot of room inside the sheath oh yeah 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 um because different knives comes with different thickness different um knife makers will have different thickness for their knives and different length as well yeah so it becomes a gigantic um wooden sheath mm-hmm. and people don't like it so they come and ask me if i can make a few more yeah is there a difference between the different woods that you use because i'm looking at a picture there's american white wood rock maple american walnut yeah then... so i use hardwood um for my sheaves um um, it gives better protection. It doesn't flex. It doesn't. Um, um, like I can I can make it a lot thinner than um, other materials. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. So you you make blades as well. Um, yes. Do you have to fold this? You don't have to fold the steel when you make a blade. Is that just anyway? So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll give you a, a quick explanation in knife making. In in the current knife making world, there's two type of knife makers. The first one is the um, the the traditional blade uh, bladesmith or the blacksmith. They hammer um, the the metal and then they cut it to shape and then they um. um heat treat it and then they grind it and turn it into a knife and the other the other spectrum it would be um, similar to what i do is i buy a sheet of metal um, high carbon metal and then i have it laser cut out um, into certain profile that i like to work on or i like to make and i will um, thin down the blade and then heat treat it and then um, finish the knife um, um, on uh, like giving giving it a cutting edge at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's called stock removal. Yeah, is that is that more a weaker for like does that make the blade more weaker if it's not constantly if it's not like hit to be flattened out or? No, I don't think that is a huge difference between that, but. Um, in terms of material saving, you definitely save oh, yeah. a lot more metal um, yeah. if you hammer the, the the metal to the right thickness mm-hmm. instead of buying a stock size. Um, like if I buy a three mil plate, I have to work with three mils and remove the other two mils to get it down to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you'd you'd grind all that away instead yeah. of. Wow. Okay. That's remarkable. So that takes a lot of yeah um, bells and time. I, I imagine you'd you'd have to have an extractor for that. I do have a have a, a shop back. Um, I always wear a uh, respirator when I'm working on um, wood and metal. Yeah. Do you do you like um do you like making the the wooden like the handles that um because I can because I've seen handles made in that. There's so many customizations that you can do with them. It's a it's a really good finishing point on a blade. 
Yes, in my opinion, the current knife handle market is um, turning into a very decorative um, side of market. Yeah. Back in the days, in the Japanese, um, in the old school uh, style handles, they are usually replaceable handles. So if you use a handle to a certain point and it's starting to crack, you just go around to the knife shop and then get a chippy and then replace it. Uh, but now it's more become a premium um, kind of status-ish um, market, I guess. It's people putting stuff in their handles, including like silver, gold, and you know those different decoration. Yeah, I'm not not that is not cool, but it boils down to a knife is a knife and you use it to cut stuff, it's going to get dirty. Mm. Um, you're not going to put a, a diamond on your uh, screwdriver handle, for example. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's similar with like, le- leather tools, you know. Um, you can get really fancy, um, you know, different handles and and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, I, for a collector point of view, it's yeah. pretty cool stuff, but... I, I'm I'm more practical in in that sense. I, yeah. I I want to make stuff that is gonna be useful, practical, rather than looks cool and serve no purpose. Yeah, one of the knives in particular that I've been fascinated by um, is the the U.S. Marine K bar knife. Yes, um, it's like it's like a leather. The handle is like a the leather. It's like leather that's been somehow. Wrapped um, on, yeah, yeah. on the handle. Yes. How 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 would that be done? Because I I've seen I've seen one in real life, and it's like how did they like get this leather onto the the handle the way that they did? So I did one of the um, restoration on a collector antique, um, basically a army knife. Um, I think it was made in uh, Sheffield in UK. Um, and the knife was it's also used a leather to wrap the um, the handle. I don't know how exactly did they do it in detail, but um, from my understanding was the knife was made and there was a, a, a metal handle. And then it's going to be slippery if you have metal on it. And then so they, they wrap leather around it to, to get a good grip. Mm-hmm. But how would they like seal it in that? Um, would they like you? You wouldn't think that it was leather when you first hold when you first hold it. I wonder how they glue it in. Okay, so if someone they probably glue glue in. If someone came to you with a K by, could you f- repair it? Not the leather part. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty much hopeless in terms of um, restoring uh, um, certain materials. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if someone coming come to me with a plastic handle and ask me to replace a plastic handle on 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 a knife, I I can only do wood. That's what I have. That's what yeah. I I can offer. Yeah. Uh, leather, I probably would just refer to someone else like you and see what you can do with the knife. <laughs> That's that's fast. That's so amazing that they use leather on that. 
that knife. How did you get the confidence to be able to like sharpen that knives and offer it as a service? The quality control is um, very important. I make sure every single knife that comes out of this door is gonna cut paper. Um, that's that's um, especially the catalog um, printing paper. Yeah, you go through a lot. Yeah. Of, you yeah. can't claim that on your tax return. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm actually feel really upset about IKEA no longer printing them because the <laughs> IKEA I, I use the IKEA catalog a lot because they are all collated and then you can just tear one page out and then use it. Yeah. Um, without without all the paper floating around, yeah. But now they don't they don't print it anymore. Yeah, but um, you got the Romeo's yeah. Foodland catalog. Oh yeah, they they they're my biggest supplier. Yeah, <laughs> well, because those catalogs are good because they're nice thin paper. Um, yes, and the thin paper can really tell you when there is a um, nick on on the edge. Yeah. Uh, it, it will it will tell you right away. It's like it, you can feel the drag. I'm I'm actually quite surprised that they still do those catalogs. You know, like um, you know, they're, they're, the catalogs are fun to read. You know, those sort of catalogs are fun to read when you're eating breakfast or something. You know, and you just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised. But that's the, the that's the marketing purpose. They yeah. they've got an audience when yeah. you're bored when you're having breakfast, and a lot of Elderlies, I guess they haven't got into the technology. They still rely on reading catalogs. Yeah, was was cheap. Yeah. Um. The is there a difference? Okay, is this a, is there a different type of steel? So, for example, um, I know with uh, I mentioned this before, but like when I was looking into getting straight razor, opinions I heard was to get vintage straight razors because the, the steel. In the vintage, like in the in the, the the steel back then, was just I'm not sure how different it was. Um, is there I don't know how I don't know is there a um difference in steel like how steel is made in the vintage knives that you've used like restored compared to like the modern knives? Are they is there a difference between the two? Um, not hugely, because if you side by side a hundred year old knife and compared to a uh, brand new I can pretty much tell you the the steel quality is going to be better with a new knife because this it, it is a misconception about steel that old steel is going to be better but if you think about it again the technology or the temperature control, the quality control back in the days would be very limited when it comes to um, steel. Um, if, of course, if you're talking about simple carbon steel, there's no a lot of uh, variation in it. That's fine. But if you're talking about um, high-speed steel or the um, the alloys, this is, this is going to gonna be um the the current technology is gonna out outplay the the old school steel um depends on the purpose really um if you are working in the kitchen environment you need you needed something uh you need a workhorse you don't want to look after your knife too much and you pretty much just want to rinse and go uh, with your knife get get a stainless steel and 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say stainless steel is worse than high carbon and I prefer high carbon is simply for the edge retention and the sharpness that you can get get to um, a very high level. Um, but doesn't mean stainless steel is bad. It just uh, it's a pay it's, it's it's a trade off if you want a better quality cutting experience. Um, then you go for the um, high carbon, but yeah. you also need to look after it. How so do, yeah, how, how do they make steel? Like, what's the they need? Is it, they need iron ore to make steel? Is that correct? Yes. So they they will mix a lot of different ingredients, different um, um, uh, metal in it. So chromium, for example, is um, a very uh, widely used to create stainless steel knives. Um, the I think the current standard is about. Um, 12 percent of the um, the blade structure, like the chromium level, is like you need twelve percent or something like that, uh, whatever exact number I can't remember, um, to to qualify to call a stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Is is the, the chemical reaction to make some of these metals is absolutely phenomenal. Or oh, making iron, they're making iron mm-hmm. in like using this furnace and it was it was absolutely amazing. Um and reading some of the comments, like the the to get like a small lump of iron is <laughs> is incredible. Like the amount of material so like um this is what someone commented it was like the so you you mix the charcoal with carbon yes so, so, so it's like how it works the so charcoal produces carbon monoxide which reduces the ore to metallic iron keeping the furnace at the right temperature is critical you want it to be high enough for the slag to melt and run but not high enough for the me- metallic iron to melt instead the furnace is in the range of welding temperature of iron which causes the metallic iron to weld itself together in a sponge or bloom allowing the molten slag to leak out of it and most of the remainder to be beaten out of the bloom when it's removed and worked. I was watching the video and it was absolutely amazing, like, how they made iron. It's incredible, like, the, um, there's so much that goes into just to get, like, that slag that comes out. Um, yes. Anyway, going back. So, yeah, that, so that, that actually goes back to the question of how... To, uh, is is it going to be superior in terms of the antique metal? Mm-hmm. So that, just imagine that amount of effort to make a quality iron. Um, is is uh, the the current technology will play better in terms of quality control? Well, I'm just if thinking, you source it properly. Well, I'm just thinking of like the wireless steel works of like a big steel bar that just like comes straight out that comes off the the, the um. The factory. Yeah, the um. What's the, the furnace. Thing? Yeah, like when it comes out on the um, what's the thing that they move on? The like a production the line. Rollers. Yeah, yeah, it comes out on the like it's, the rollers. It's yeah. crazy, <laughs> but there's a word for it. Um, I don't know. Like a production line, but what's it called? The um, it's the the belt that moves everything. What's it called? Um. I can't. I'll, I'll think of. I think of it anyway. So now that's a good point because yeah, because that's. I, I like that because um yeah, I was of the yeah that the the 
the vintage still is the, the better still, but yeah, when you have so much more quality control and I guess a more pure environment, like you're not just making this steel out in the woods, like anyway, um, a bit about Damascus still, like I've, that's like a huge, um, uh, such a popular still and I've sort of seen it on the internet and all that. What's so special about Damascus still and a bit about it? So the beginning of Damascus is um, they used to be a metal they they used in I think somewhere like Persian or somewhere like that, and they use it to make weapons. And it's known to be um, extremely sharp and um, long-lasting edge. Um, so that was the myth of the Damascus. Um, since then, the recipe of actual Damascus has been lost. What people is recreating now um, are the basically replicas um, of the patterns. Um, so they they don't know what steel they they were using back in the days when Damascus steel was invented. Um, so in simple text, Damascus is two different type of steel um, and then fold it multiple times and twist and turn and then to create the patterns eventually turn into a um, iron bar and then the blacksmith will use it to hammer um, and make knives out of it and mm-hmm. and then at the end you have you have the beautiful patterns depends on how you um how you stack the um the metal together and how you twist and turn it yeah okay so the yeah because i was going to ask like the how they get the patterns that's from the how they've twisted it and folded it and all that it gives that pattern yes so um there there was a a video about how damascus have been made basically you use to uh you pick up a play-doh um put three bars together and then by by uh, folding it you create a different pattern and then that's cool so and then at the end you cut it in half and then see what was inside the the play-doh is gonna be the um outcome of um yeah your your twisting and turning <laughs> why is it why is it that um certain steels they can can you can you fold you can you can fold steel like just your normal run-of-the-mill steel over and over and make a good knife from it or does it, um, have, does it have to be a specific type of steel to be able to do that? No, you basically can use any steel to okay. fold. Yeah. Um, you heat it up to um, a certain temperature. There's a color chart that you can go through uh, to see, to tell the, the temperature of the, the stock. Um, um, and then the Japanese will... What, what the Japanese do is they create a little uh, weak point, they cut it um, to halfway of the the, the um, metal bar and then they fold it and then they hammer it and weld it back together and then they, they repeat the same the, the same um, forging practice over and over. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at the end, um, the, the stacking will be going by a um, thousand times. Yeah. Is there is there a reason why it makes the blade so strong when you fold over so many times? 
Is it the way it was um, uh, the uh, so many different practice in different um, purpose for the samurai sword, for example. Um, the old practice was because the iron quality was bad, and they needed to hammer the the um, impurity out of the steel. So they folded the 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 iron over and over and get it stronger and get a better uh, purity um, to make samurai sword. And that was the the beginning of. I guess how the traditional knife are being made in Japan um, um, by um, using this to uh, the the whole purpose was trying to get rid of the impurity. Okay. Yeah. And and the byproduct is they make better quality blades. Yeah. So if if you had like a really pure steel, you you wouldn't if you were to put it side by side by like a to say, okay, to say if you had, like, I guess this is a bit of a thought experiment. If you had, like, the most mm. purest steel and you made mm. a katana, like, you just, like, sh- like, Scott, like, um, made all the edges completely look like, like, look like a katana sword. But then you had, like, a, a vintage, you know, probably 500-year-old katana or something that's been folded over and over and over and over again. Which would be the strongest out of the two, in your opinion? <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it doesn't work like that because okay. um, for a Japanese Japanese samurai sword, they have different constructs. So they have senmai, they have um, basically uh, two softer steel wrapping the core steel to create the, um, to protect the edge, to give the um, durability as well as um, uh, shock absorption. Mm-hmm. So it, it Boils down to the blade construct as well. Yeah. You can't really say I have this piece of steel and it's gonna cut better than yours. Because, but imagine if the steel is not properly constructed, you're just gonna have a very um, 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 how do they put it? Because when 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 high carbon knife being um, temp uh, like um, heat treated, and then they have to go through tempering to um, make it less uh, brittle. And the uh, the tempering process is to to um, make the knife uh, uh, last a bit longer. But without the support of the um, outer layer, the soft steel, you're just gonna have a knife which is quite brittle. Yeah. Oh yep yep yep. So yeah. So what does that heat that heat treatment do? We heat it and then you cool it. That's just um. Does that make the metal expand, remove the impurities, and then when you put it in water, it just um makes so it constrict again. Heat treat is basically to um make the um the metal expand. Um, very quickly, and then not well. I, I wouldn't say very quickly um, to a, a certain temperature, and then you cool it down very quickly to pack the um, um, the iron particles um, together. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So it stays expanded, or does it shrink back to what it normally was? Um, it's probably uh, insignificant to bare eyes, but if you put it under microscope or you um, um, snap the blade in half, you will see the um, iron particles are nicely packed together if you do the heat treat properly. Okay. If the heat treat is not done correctly, you will see a lot of um, bigger chunk of um, iron um, scattered across the, the blade and basically it won't be a um, durable or quality blade. Okay, so that, that's the benefit of having a high carbon um, because you have, you could have more, of, like you can strengthen, uh, that, that makes sense, so like a high carbon steel is, you can make it more stronger whereas the stainless steel, so they add alloy to it and it sort of removes a lot of the carbon from it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then uh, it, it doesn't rust as easily as... Yes. Okay, yeah. Um, but in terms of durability, are the stainless going to take a better uh, shock absorption mm-hmm. because of the softer uh, nature of the steel? So if you, if you use... Um, High carbon steel to cut bones, for example, that you accidentally, you, you're not supposed to, but you accidentally um, run it across certain bones, you probably end up with a chip, but it's not going to um, chip your stainless steel knife that easily. Our second sponsor of this episode is Artisan Sun. Artisan Sun leather care products were created for crafters in mind, not corporate greed. The son of all the artisans who came before him, Artisan's son, Australian premium wax-based products, handcrafted using all natural ingredients. Their top-selling product is their leather conditioner. Unlike other leather conditioners, Artisan's son leather conditioner is wax-based, made the old-fashioned way to ensure your leathers stay looking good for generations to come. Artisan's son also has its signature leather heritage oil, which is ideal for rehydrating dry leather and is an excellent tool for using pre and during leather dyeing. Got Dirty Leather, Artisan's Sun also has a range of cleaning solutions, from genuine horsehair brushes to natural oil-free leather soap. Protecting metal from surface rust, Artisan's Sun Metal Conditioner keeps metal protected from oxidation, all natural and petroleum-free. They also stock fabric wax, wood conditioner, and the Heritage Leather Care Kit, containing some of their well-known products to clean, hydrate, seal and protect your leather goods. Check out their products which have seen generations of use at www.artisansun.com So like a butcher's cleaver, would that be more mm-hmm. um, stainless steel? They, they do make uh, high carbon um, as well, but it is uh, as thick as an axe, basically. Yeah, yeah. You just you'd, you'd an axe putting a handle. Yeah. Um, what's been? Um, so you you I know you'd say you'd say that the katana is the probably the most superior blade in history. In my opinion, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would say that. I know I would say that as probably as well. Um, sharpening. Uh, I know you've. Um, hmm. I guess we could, we could put combine these three together. So. The toughest knife you've sharpened, so like serrated edges, um, 
and sort of, your, I guess, your story of the sharpening the butter knife and the spoon. So sort of the... Uh... So first okay. off, what, what's the toughest knife to sharpen? The toughest knife to sharpen is a <clears throat> knife um, made with a um, uh, high-speed steel. Um, it's called ZDP-189. Um, this particular metal is known to be extremely, extremely hard. Um, basically, the hardest commercial knife that is available. Mm-hmm. Um, to remove the metal of uh, ZDP-189 is painful, painful experience. It's like you're constantly rubbing the knife on the whetstone. It just not a lot is happening. I just did a, a Google search of high-speed steel, and it says high-speed steel is a subset of tool steels commonly used as cutting tool material. Yes. It is often used in power saw blades and drill drill bits. It Correct. Is superior to the older, it is superior to the older, higher carbon steel tools used extensively through the 1940s in that it can withstand higher temperatures without losing its temper. Correct. Wow, okay, so even, so your like hammer that you have at the in your shed, that would be uh-huh. high speed steel. Um the the yeah, um basically uh the a lot of um saw blades, um even um you see basically high high quality drill bits they're using either carbide or high speed steel. Is do they rust? Not oh, easily. Okay, so yeah, this property allows high-speed steel to cut faster than high-carbon steel, hence the name high-speeds. Okay, wow. How, how do they make mm-hmm. it? Do they... Um, I, I guess it's similar to stainless steel. They just add different elements. Yeah. So when, when it comes to different type of metal, if you Google um, knife steel, you will see hundreds and hundreds, literally hundreds of steel people attempted to make knife with um, but that's only a fraction of what is available in a commercial market because different steel can be used for different purposes you have mild steel you have um, yeah different type of um, mixture of steel um, for cool. different purpose yeah why don't they make kitchen knives out of high speed like Chef knives out of high speed steel. Like, they like, do. They do. They do. Wow. Yes. Um, so um, VG10 is one of those um, high speed steel, um, and uh, SG2 is also a uh, well known um, in Japanese knife for um, high speed steel knives. And ZDP one eight nine is another one, another good example, but it's, it, it, they're basically cousins. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. Um. But having said that, I'm not. I'm not suggesting high speed steel is better than stainless, and I'm not saying high speed steel is. Uh, inferior to carbon steel. Yeah, they serve different purposes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, well, like. I was thinking carbon steel, yeah, because that's what I was thinking. Then I was thinking, oh, like carbon, high carbon steel must have like nothing on high speed steel. So is 
carbon steel, that's just a lot more better at... Car- I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused now. It's interesting. I'm just... So, um, if you want sharpness, if you're just thinking straight sharpness, you always go for carbon steel. Nothing can beat that. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, if you need a straight razor, get a high carbon steel. And there's not a lot of options around in terms of um, straight razors, um, high carbon steel. There's yeah. a handful of yeah. options available. Um, and if you want durability, you just want something to abuse in the kitchen, go for stainless. Mm-hmm. And you want the best of both, you go high speed steel. Yeah. But high speed steel also have a uh, pricey. Um, price tag on it yeah is it easy is, is it easy to strop that high speed steel like when you got it sharp um it, they probably similar result i would say because when it when it when your knife is getting to the sh- stropping stage it is the edge is ready to go you just kind of refine and get rid of the excess yeah. the micro um scratches on yeah. on the on the cutting edge so if someone if someone gave you a high speed steel knife and just say the um there's been like chinks like um dents in the knife blade, mm-hmm. how long would that take to be able to completely like by hand for a while is is gonna be a painful experience. Yeah. Um but what I do now is I will get on the linisher and uh, basically a bell grinder and put on a ceramic bell depends on the severity of the damage i will use different grids belts to remove the damage and then i will thin the blade by hand and sharpen it afterwards mm-hmm. how do um serrated blades go Are they easier to they get? have they have different equipment to um create the this this the serrated the, Deceration? Is that a word? <laughs> um, um, the teeth, uh, they, if you lost all the teeth, you want to um, bring them back. You probably need to, need to go to someone that is have experience of um, repairing um, saw blades yeah. and they have the equipment to do it. But in a commercial kitchen sense, um, uh, usually, we, when people are losing the teeth on a bread knife, and sometimes I just say it's cheaper to buy a new one. To be honest, yeah. yeah. Sharpening a butter knife and spoon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a spoon was a test of how. Uh, if you sharpen a spoon at home and you. Don't expect it. It will. It will last very long because the the metal itself is not. Um, it's not designed to be sharpened. They're not designed to be using using as a cutting tool. So the the edge retention is gonna be horrible. But if you manage to sharpen a spoon to have, to be able to cut paper, you you are very much qualified to sharpen most of the the knives. Oh, see, are you sharpen the edge of the the um the, the spoon, handle the the um oh you sharpen the handle you didn't sharpen the circle part 
No, because otherwise it, it it will be a painful uh, experience again. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you sharpen the handle of the spoon? Yes. Okay. That'd actually be good. Um, because you know you got like a, if you're out in the woods, you have you pull out your spoon, it has your knife and your spoon in in one. That's cool. Uh, yeah, but then it, it won't last very long. Simply the the. The, the 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 metal content is not holding the edge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good good fun. Yeah. And going back to the butter knife, it, um, the bone handle butter knife made in the past are very high quality um, steel. Yeah, they are. Um, so they are still being used um, as a fish filleting knife. Um, they usually send it to a blaze me for someone to sharpen it and um, reuse it, repurpose it to a fish knife. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, see. So you didn't sharpen the the person wasn't asking you to sharpen like your your your, your like a butter knife in in the drawer that you have from. Oh, no, not not some random butter knife in the drawer. They are very specific. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah. The bone handle. If you see a bone handle uh, butter knife, they are still selling for like fifteen bucks without without the edge on it. Yeah. So tips for sharpening. So I know you mentioned like diamond plates because I've just used like sandpaper. Is there mm-hmm. a benefits to using like you know, or you've seen the the wet stones where you you have the wet stones? Are they a um? For like a leather crafter, or yeah, just just for tips for sharpening. Um, sure. Should you use diamond plated or yeah? Um, I have diamond plates. I use them for heavy repair because they remove a lot of metal in a short period of time. Um, and I also use diamond plates to uh, flatten my stones. Um, but when I tell people um, when they first um, getting into knife sharpening or blade sharpening, whatever tools that you're sharpening with, um, don't go all in. Um, get the basic stuff. Um, get whatever you can um, afford, uh, whatever you can tolerate. Um, it, knife sharpening is 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 a is a money pit basically. You can you can keep on spending money and, and and ultimately you're just gonna end up with the same result if you just want to cut stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't encourage people spending a couple thousand dollars on uh, natural stone. I mean, if you have a very specific reason that you are a knife collector, you want to restore the kasumi on your uh, expensive um, um, honyaki um, um, Japanese knife, yes, go for it. Go mm-hmm. spend that money. That's the only stone that can do that. But if you are a user, um, you just need a 1,000 grit west stone and then a... 3,000 or 4,000 polishing stone and get the job done. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
Because, yeah, because I've just used sandpaper. And is, it, is it worth going past 2,000 grit sandpaper, do you think? So, in general sense, sharpening um, from anything below 500 grit will be your be repairing grits. Okay. Uh, and then anything from 800 grits to three uh, 2,000. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push 3,000. Okay. Uh, will be your sharpening sharpening um, grids. Okay. And anything beyond 3,000 and above would be your uh, um, polishing grids. Mm-hmm. So usually if your knife is reasonably sharp and you just want to make it better, you can go from the sharpening categories um, uh, grids, and then the next grid would be the polishing. So two stone will finish the job. Yeah. Okay. So stropping comes into sort of when you've got that polish up, and you just want to sort yeah. of maintain that edge. You you have to strop to sort of keep it. Yes. So okay. yes. strop is similar to the um, honing steel in the kitchen. Um, but with a different, um, I guess, less aggressive and, and a slightly different purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, because what, what, like, what, what wet stones would you recommend? Because, like, um, is, is sandpaper still all right to you? Like, if just at, um, as sort yes, of like sandpaper a... is still a reasonable okay. choice of sharpening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, sharpening is basically making a tool sharp. It doesn't matter what you use. If you can do it on a piece of brick, go for it. <laughs> um, if you're happy with the result, that is your 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 sharpening, and you achieve what you wanted. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, don't I I I'm not I'm not encouraged or discourageable to. Um, use whatever they can get hands on. I mean, in in a lot of the um, Asian culture, the families they use the back of the ceramic plates. Um, they they use the 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 coarse side of the plates to sharpen their knives, and it does a job for them. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um. Um. In terms of recommended stones um they have many many different categories like the salt stone the synthetics um um, ceramic stones and then they have uh, natural stones it really depends on what you can afford yeah what is that that soak stone like i've seen you use it where it sort of sits in a tub of water and sort of say is that because you can just like flick the water on top to to um the, the soak stone is the old school Japanese uh, traditional ways of well I, I wouldn't say traditional um, it's it's a synthetic stone after all it's not it's not natural stone so it's not that traditional but um, before synthetic stone uh, before the non soak stone become available they were um, widely used um, for sharpening tools and knives mm-hmm. um, they needed the water to keep the um the to prevent clotting and um because as you remove the metal the metal 
tend the the shavings tends to um, clot on the um, stones, so that helps to uh, remove the um, the metal as well. Yeah, because like, isn't it good to have the metal still on? Is that is is that a, or is that on the the more stropping when you're? Mm, no, the the shaving of the metal is gonna clog up your stones. Yeah, okay. They are not. They are not there to help you removing um metal like like uh, sharpening okay um the the actual that is removing metal is the uh, the the slur that is created by the stone so yeah. basically the, the 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 dust of the stone yeah okay so um tips for stropping because this is this is one thing that sort of because you have like the flesh side of leather and then you have the grain side of leather you know and there's like do you strop on the flesh side or the grain side because i've seen some people they've stropped on the flesh side but then i've seen like people strop on the grain side of the leather which um should you use um i use that my practice is uh, the grain side is the rougher side, right? No, that's the flesh side. Okay, um, so I'll, I'll use my own words in terms of leather. I know, I know you. Th- <laughs> I know you think the flesh side would be the smooth side, and the grain. Yeah, but it's like the opposite. Like the grain side's the smooth side, and then the flesh side's the furry side. Okay, I, I would use. Um, the rough side of the leather, I usually charge it with um, um, polishing compound, which is the green brush. You can get it from um, jeweler stores. Um, you charge it, and then um, it kind of have a very fine um, ability to remove the um, the metal. Uh, it's a very tiny, small. Uh, leftover um, shavings on your knives they they're very good at that and mm-hmm. um, and after that and I will go to the um, the grain side <laughs> yeah. of the leather to uh, remove anything that is left over on the blade and it becomes a um, very smooth cutting experience okay as and then to maintain the edge, you just go back to the grain. You don't have to go back to the the flesh side. You you can do both, okay. really. There's nothing stopping you from doing both. The misconception about uh, stropping is you don't actually remove anything. If you try to sharpen a knife on a strop, you probably spend your lifetime just standing there and stropping, and then you probably damage your strop before your knife can go anywhere. Yeah, is there a limit? Like, what's the limit to stropping? Because um, that's not you can you can do a hundred times and just make sure you don't do it too harsh and fold at your cutting edge. Okay. Um, okay. just do a light strop and that's all you needed to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what I guess what style are you inspired by? Like knife style or knife? Um. Yeah. Um. In, in terms of knife use, as much as I spend thousands of hours of, on, on knives, I only have like five knives in my kitchen. Wow. 
and they one one of them is a kyuto um a basically a western chef knife in a japanese style but they are double bevel they are not even single bevel i don't use single bevel knife in in my kitchen because i don't see the need of it um i don't i don't use knife because they are cool i i i only use knife for a practical sense um i have a patty knife and it cut up my fruit um i have a veggie knife um basically when i see a big stock of veggie like um cabbage i use that veggie knife because it gives me um better a uh, control in terms of um cutting through veggies mm-hmm. and yeah and i've got another stainless steel uh, chef knife um basically if i needed to cut up um chicken wings there's a potential in contact of bones then i will use that to avoid chipping my um high carbon knives yeah um but that's that's it that's that's all the knife i have um i always tell people don't buy the knife stock uh the the knife block that is um on sale because you probably end up with knives that you're never going to use or you just make them blunt and then you move on to another one mm-hmm. yeah they're um you get like a huge selection of knives in those blocks like <laughs> I know you like yeah. the, the, the the little ones good for like you know cutting up your apple. That's pretty much my knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah, that's um. Yeah, okay. Do you need to have like a a strop for all those knives that you like? Do you have a strop in your kitchen to keep them sharp or? No, I don't. I don't use a strop or um, honing steel. I use Weston. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so I use a high grit uh, polishing stone um, to maintain the edge on uh, if, if, if it's needed a better cutting uh, experience. I mean, every, every knife in my kitchen will probably cut um, pretty well, but if I needed to do some delicate, delicate uh, task, then I will run, run it on a um, polishing stone to... Um, refresh the edge per yeah. se um and that's how i uh, maintain my knife and other than that um if it goes any worse i will go back to sharpening the stone and i uh, do my 1000 and then do my polishing again uh, and yeah. to finish the job so it polishing... only takes about five minutes so polishing doesn't really take a lot off the blade no no, but okay. it kind of freshen up the cutting edge. Yeah. So a bit about the the, the leather tools that you've sharpened. So um, mm-hmm. like the plow gauge. How did you go with that round knife? Because um, I'm, I want to get a round knife, and uh, one of the things I've been a bit cautious about is because there's so many edges on that the round knife. You know, especially when you're stropping it. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you? Oh, I don't know. What's the question? Um, so how do you sharpen it and how to strop it? Yeah. Well, I might get you to sharpen it. I was just thinking when I get it, I'm just going to <laughs> give it to you. Because <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. I just, yeah. Um, but yeah, how, how, how do you maintain like a round knife? 
Um, for sharpening, the rule of thumb is to follow the edge. Okay. As as you um, sharpen it, like your push and pull motion, you follow the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much all you needed to do. And once you created the bevel, um, and it's just going to be the same as every other knife. Um, there's, there's no special about it. Would you strop it in like thirds? Like you do one angle, then middle, and then the, like the bottom angle, the middle angle, and then the top angle? Or would you sort of split it more? Some people, some people do it in sessions. Um, yeah. From what I, um, like the leather workers that I, I, speak, I speak to, and they, they, they tend to do it in different sessions. Some of them do it in a, um, a single stroke motions. Um, depends on what is available to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you recommend that? Um, it's. I mean, a strop is strop. That it it basically clear clear and freshen your edge. Okay. So it you, doesn't remove anything. You're not going to damage so, your edge. No. Okay. No, you will not damage your edge by stropping. Even if you're um, on like the wrong angle. Yes. Doesn't doesn't matter if you're not if you're not doing a ninety degrees um, head first um, stropping, <laughs> it's is not gonna damage it. Yeah. Um, um, you, the worst case scenario, you, you achieve nothing. Yeah. Uh, by doing that, and if you strop and doesn't get the desired outcome, it's time to consider sharpening again. Yeah. Okay. And would you? If you weren't getting the desired outcome, would you would you go backwards? Like, would you go to the polishing, and then if that doesn't work, you go back to the sharpening, and then if that doesn't work, you go back to the complete redo the whole thing again. Um, you you can probably tell by um, how long were you sharpening your tools. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if it was like three months ago, you sharpen your knife, and then now it's not cutting anything, and even with strops, it is, uh, has minimum achievements. Um, then you probably should consider sharpening, sh- do the sharpening again, and do the sharpening and bring it back to polish mm-hmm. edge. Okay. Um, that plow gauge that you did for me like tools you get in leather work are quite similar to that like they're very like single bevel um Mm -hmm. and all that sort of a brief description of just okay if you were to get like a um a tool like that a single bevel how would you take it from like you just say you get the single bevel skiving knife and it arrives Mm -hmm. and it's kind of sharp but it's kind of you know you want to get it more sharper what would you do um, I will do the um, sharpening stone first. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you prefer, uh, one thousand, two thousand grit, um, and then once you got it sharp, and then you move on to the polishing stone. Depends on how many pieces of polishing stone that you have. Um, some people uh, will go to progressive um, grit um, steps, so they will go through 
3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, and basically get to uh, 10,000 to uh, 30,000 uh, is not unheard of. And I do it on my um, straight races as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it is tedious, and it really depends on what you want to do with that knife. And you just want to cut leather, and and it doesn't require such refined edge. Okay. Um, do do the sharpening and polishing on a eight thousand grit stone, and that's probably more than sufficient. Yeah. So and I think I finished yours on the twelve thousand oh, yeah. grit. Yeah. You, I yeah. You went really high on it. Um. Yeah. Because so you wouldn't start off with eight hundred grit for the sharpening. You'd go to a thousand. Yes, if your edge is reasonably um, functional, okay, um, yeah. you don't you don't need to go eight hundred. Besides, um, why are you using eight hundred, not a thousand? Because um, I like my tools, uh, or not, I like my knife to be a bit more toothy. So by using eight hundred grit, it's gonna uh, have a rougher edge, but yeah. it's cut really well on vegetables. So that's how I do it, and. People have different preference okay. around the world. Okay. And just finally, what's your next step? I um, usually just go with the flow. I never imagined um, this um, initially was just helping me to grieve, to mm-hmm. become a successful-ish, um, I guess, um, side business for me. Mm-hmm. Um uh if if i if i can get more clients um that's fine if i don't i'm happy with my current client base i I have a lot of people returned um i'm not too ambitious in terms of um expanding the business um i want to make sure the quality is matching with my uh productivity Uh, the last thing I want is to ruin my reputation because I taken too much drops. I couldn't stomach. Yeah. So that's that's my um, current goal. If I needed to expand in the future, then um, I'll work something out. But yeah, I don't want to um, go over go go over my head and yeah. thinking I can do. Yeah, no, that's that, that's fair enough. Like so far, I'm well over thousands blades. I have, uh, I won't say complaint, uh, two dissatisfactions, um, but they were, um, they were, they weren't bad quality mistakes. They were, they, well, they were, they were minor errors, I would say, and they were easily fixable, mm. and um, and they were happy with the result at the end. Yeah after fixing them. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I strive for is quality instead of quantity. Yeah. I mean if 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 I wanted to do quantity I can yeah. I can run everything on a belt grinder and get the job done. But it it doesn't really um, give any promising um, results. Yeah. So, do you start on the grinder and then work your way down to the whetstone, or do you make like depending on the blade, you sort of just it is individual um, yeah. assessment. Okay. I 
I, I don't have the um, shoulder for a um, hand repair anymore because it's um, some of the damage I have seen is way beyond my uh, shoulder capability. Yeah. <laughs> no, that no, that's um, no, that's fair enough. I don't, I don't blame you. So, like, yeah, my shoulder, like when I'm smoothing out the edges and you're doing it by hand, like your shoulder starts to hurt a bit. So. I don't blame and the that. industrial standard is still on the bell grinders. So if you buy a knife from Japan, um, they don't pro- they probably don't show you um, the videos of them sharp- sharpening their knives on the bell grinder, but they do. <laughs> so I'm I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat the 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 um, the situation. Um, if you're expecting every single knife that you are buying from Japan is going to be a Western sharpened, um, uh, that's that's a unrealistic yeah. um, expectation. Well, a lot a lot of the the blades come because they um, it's like they for the person like because usually it comes for they think that the person will sharpen it themselves. So they yes. sort of have like the factory standard of um because otherwise yeah the the blade would be so much more expensive because if everyone has to sharpen every single knife to a T, it's um and that's yeah. why and that's why I came to you with that that whole bunch because <laughs> you know it just wasn't sharp enough so but um yeah no that's um yeah I think I think that's one of the crucial things like I I I didn't realize how. Well, I realized quite late how you know you had to maintain your edges and sharpening your blades and all that and it is a skill that once you do have it makes a huge difference because you know you can problem solve so much easier yeah it it does and I I, even though I do sharpening for people um, I'm happy to teach um, and and spend time with people and of, of course they will have to pay um, for the time for the class, but I don't I don't mind teaching. It doesn't affect my um, business or, or my clientele. Because I I, w- I would tell people sharpening is like gardening or mowing the lawn. You are very capable of mowing your own lawn, but some people is still going to get the gardener to do it because they don't want to do it themselves. So people don't want to do the tedious sharpening job themselves so they bring their knife to me and get their knife sharpened yeah it's it's nothing wrong with that but if you want to do it yourself and you weren't sure how to do it and you want to get a better explanation in different situations of how to repair how to sharpen that's fine too i can i can run through it yeah yeah because one thing i'm scared about is like just completely rule like um like completely ruining an edge like so if you do ruin an edge you can it's fixable it's not like it's 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 lost you know you can't fix it um for the japanese knife uh, the single bevel kitchen knives you can completely ruin the blade and it will it will cost a lot more to fix than buying a new one if you don't do it uh properly mm-hmm. um they are they, uh, because the the structure of a Japanese knife is very delicate. Um, yeah, but other than that, if it's a double bevel knife, whatever you stuff up, I can bring it back. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so you'd class those skiving knives as like a Jap- the Japanese single bevel? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So if you see the uh, the Jura, which is the um, the hollow grind on the back, don't tamper with it. Don't try to flatten it or don't use the high, the, the low grit um, um, stone or sandpaper at the back. You only use the polishing um, grit on the uh, flat side okay uh you want to remove as little as possible while you're deburring um, on the on the flat side okay and that way you can have a reasonably uh, long lifespan on a single bevel yeah how do you remove surface rust from you like like my japanese carving knife has like surface rust on it and i have Mm. been tempted just to go over it with like a fine grit sandpaper just to, to remove oh, that's, it. that's fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can buy uh, five zeros, um, what do they call it, the metal sponge, the, the wire sponge, that you can get it from Bunnings and whatnot. Oh, the, um, oh yeah, the wire brush. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can, they can, they probably will cause a little bit of a scratch marks, but they are quite effective and yeah. they don't, tend to remove um, metal um, otherwise high grit sandpaper is fine yeah. anything above 4000 grit is not going to remove a lot could you do it on the back as well just yes okay. you can yeah but don't do it excessively just okay. just do it enough and follow the scratch patterns yeah um, that will make make it look nicer okay uh, thanks jack for coming on i appreciate it Uh, Thank you, everyone.